Welcome back to another impactful night of Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 82. I'm your host, I'm three for Isaac Strong III. Tonight's panelists are Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent pro, Dr. Isaac Carrier, and Dr. Laura Kennedy. Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people. Good evening. Uh, thank you for the prompt. I am thrilled to be here on here with my uh, panel mates, and it's uh, ready to rock and roll. And Dr. Isaac Carrier, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everyone, and what an honor it is to be back yet again with the infamous Isaiah Drone and the outstanding panelists. I'm, I'm very pleased to have this opportunity. We are pleased as well, sir. And Dr. Laura Kennedy, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. How are you? I am so pleased to be here with all of you. Well, tonight's topic is not ordinary. There is nothing, nothing at all ordinary about this topic tonight. Tonight, we will be discussing the hope of educators throughout the southern United States after COVID-19 through consciousness, through mindfulness, and through helping hand as we help build our community. Tonight, I want to pull first from our panelists, Buddy Thornton, Positive Social Change Agent Pro. Uh, please tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing, Karen. Sir. Isaiah, I, uh, as always, I uh, have been delving into my life and parent coaching, uh, completed writing my first book on contemporary ethics, and I am currently working on a book on contemporary morals. And I've had a lot of opportunity during the COVID pandemic to interact with people and get a lot of research done. And I believe that at the end of the day, uh, tonight's topic lines right up with uh, the research I've been doing. So I'm really uh, jumping to share. Absolutely, sir. Well, tonight uh, I, I want to pull from your strong feelings. Um, because I know you've been doing research, like you said, and you've been doing it through, through observations and measurements, right? And, and one of the measurements and observations that uh, educators have been uh, taught to be aligned to is, is motivating our learners, motivating our learners to think critically, right? Motivating our learners to know how to uh, use form and analysis to use scientific thinking, right? And so from a holistic approach, uh, when I think of holistic, I think of uh, Maslow. I think of Endura. I think of Brunson-Burner. I think of Peter J. And so, you know, these theories uh, help us wrap our minds around or introduced us to how important it is in developing relationships for young people to not just uh, become entrepreneurs or professionals, but to be positive contributors in the community. What are your thoughts about developing relationships for young people, not only to be uh, entrepreneurs and make money and be successful in their their job careers, 
but to be positive contributors in our community? That's my question. Well, that prop is uh, extremely uh, apropos, especially coming out of the COVID crisis. One of the most important things that all of the uh, uh, historical uh, philosophers that you spoke of and the developmental people, uh, they all focus on one thing, and that is that it takes social engagement to activate especially young people's minds. And the COVID crisis has put a damper on that. Uh, anyone who's ever had to deal with a teenager who is deprived of social interaction will uh, be able to speak rapidly and eloquently about how difficult they become to deal with, to control, to motivate, to even get engaged in the family dynamics because they feel like they're being excluded. Therefore, they feel like they're being disenfranchised from society. So I twisted the question a little bit. Uh, how important is developing relationships for young people to become vibrant, relevant, and positive contributors to the community and to be fully empowered? Relationships require social interaction. Social interaction triggers the neurocortex. It allows uh, all of the neurology to activate, to create neural pathways, and to build a personality. The, the biggest drawback for any of our youth is that they haven't had the advantage of time and experience. So we're dealing not with the tabula rasa, we don't have a blank slate because they've been developing since birth, but they reach a point where they need more and more and more and all of a sudden we take it away from them. And we didn't do it deliberately, COVID did that. But now it's our job to make sure that we understand that all other learning has to take a back seat to giving them the opportunity to engage and feel relevant because until they do that, they're not going to fully engage in all of the other things we need them to engage in. It's very difficult to get anyone, especially a teenager, to engage in a learning activity if they feel like it's not going to lead them to anything relevant to their quality world. Relationships are the heart of every matter involving a child. They go to school because they enjoy being with their peers. They, a lot of them enjoy dealing with teachers who care about them. A lot of them are using schools as a safe haven, but it still revolves back to relationships. But take a look at the core concept. Relationships are the heart of everything that every human does. When you walk into a store to buy a gallon of milk, you are creating a relationship. It may be a temporary relationship. You are making a transaction. You are functioning in society, and you're leaving with a fair trade, and you're walking out the door feeling that you were treated properly. You have your dignity. You have your respect because you didn't get cheated. So at the core of all of those things, relationships are the basis of what we do. So I, I put it this way when I'm doing my training. From dyadic or triadic interactions, which is two or three people, to in-group, to entire populations, relationships are what make life happen. Without relationships, you really don't have any motivation to do the things you do. What good is making money? What good is eating? What good is doing anything if you don't have a relationship 
to connect it to. It's a bounded reality. The relationships are part of everything that every human does on this planet. And so we have to realize that these children have been deprived, tremendously deprived. And no amount of any interaction, as much as it's important to have family interaction, it cannot replace the expansive social interaction of being with peers and people who you feel are relevant that have been ripped away from you by had the happenstance of the COVID situation. I believe that relationships will be the driver of the future and the success coming out of COVID. Very well put. When you spoke, it reminded me of a excerpt out of the book, You Being by Paul Tillich. I had to go and grab that book from the shelf. But I remember the part I highlighted, and Paul Tillich said this. He said, we all feel rejected and hostile toward what has rejected us. We all try to appease it. And failing, we become more hostile. This happens often unnoticed by ourselves. But there are two symptoms which we hardly can avoid most. The hostility against ourselves and the hostility against others. One speaks though often of pride and arrogance and self-centeredness and complacency in people. But, and he didn't say this, I'm saying this, but it's all about relationships. It all revolves around relationships, like you said tonight. And so we have to acknowledge, it's all about, before we engage, we have to acknowledge the child for who they are, for the personality that they are today, I believe. And you said it so well, you put that so um, well for me. Uh, and it's all about apprehending. And you cannot comprehend until you apprehend. And that's that consciousness that I believe we were talking about. Uh, Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change is your pro, sir. Thank you so much for adding value to this podcast. And that is a perfect transition because you brought in Dr. Lori, Laura Kennedy. Uh, she's an educator. She's been in, well, let me, let me let her tell you. Dr. Kenny, please tell us the people explain about what you're doing, Karen. Yes, so um, I've, I've been around for a while now, almost 20 years in the field of education. Uh, everything from classroom teacher, instructional strategist, up to principal, and currently I am uh, consulting, doing consulting work through my business, Education Excel, uh, and this is where I provide educators with instructional strategies to increase student engagement and motivation. So as I was listening uh, to Buddy talk, I got excited because I heard them buzzwords, engagement, relationships, because that's a lot of what I, um, what, what, a lot of what I focus on. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Listen, I'm too excited. I'm too excited to have you here. Uh, but let me Great. calm down. <laughs> I'm going to calm down. Let me ask you a question. So what are some of your tools? Because you're talking about strategies. You're talking about tools. What are some of the tools that you use to help pro-social pro behaviors, I would say, right? Uh, pro-social mm -hmm. behaviors, disposition, 
things just like what other um, attributes that a, a student may have been exposed to or experienced. Okay, so here's a few of my nuggets. <laughs> and uh, for this, I'm going to pull from a, a psychologist, Carl Rogers. I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with him. But he uses, uh, he used to talk about unconditional positive regard. And that's just basically accepting and supporting a person regardless of what they say or do. Okay, so just loving on loving on kids. All right, um, and I I resonate with this because it ties into my philosophy as an educator. I am like the manner child for Maslow, then Bloom. Okay, um, I will tell anybody. Sometimes we have to Maslow, which is you know we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then going into Bloom's taxonomy, that's where we're growing those dendrites and we're activating that critical thinking. We have to support our children um, emotionally and mentally sometimes before we can even get to the academic part of what's going on, especially if we're seeing them with challenging behaviors, okay? So some of the things that we want to look at is um, if they are experiencing challenging behaviors, we first need to understand what is causing that behavior, all right? And to do that, we have to understand, um, to be able to understand that we have to listen and not judge or jump to conclusions. There's been a lot of times where I've been on a campus and we just assume, you know, that oh, he just don't want to be here or, you know, you know who his family is. And, you know, we come up with all kinds of excuses, but, you know, we don't sit down and really get to the, the root of the problem, you know, well, what is bothering this child? You know, how can I help him? Okay. So taking those steps towards understanding that person and even helping them put words to their feelings. You may be dealing with a 16-year-old child that's acting out and they don't know how but just to be violent or to say cuss words to express themselves. And we can't really blame the child for that. It's maybe that's how they grew up. Maybe that's the home environment. Maybe that's all they're exposed to right now. So someone has to step up and show them a different way. Okay, so then building trust and modeling appropriate and respective behavior. I'm not going to be able to change anyone's behavior or influence anyone's behavior if they're acting out, then I act out. We have to learn how to de-escalate situations, okay? Um, next is just like, you know, being, learning how to support and celebrate even the smallest of achievements that we may be seeing with, this, with, with students, right? Um, something else, and I find this to be the most important step, is self-awareness. And I'm talking about the educator. Self-awareness. We have to be mature enough to handle these behaviors. Okay? We have to basically be the calm to their storm. So that's pretty much the gist of what my tools are in, in cultivating those positive outcomes. Wow. Listen. Listen. <laughs> That you were dropping gems. Those were gems. <laughs> because the first thing I heard from you was empathy. Yes, yes. That was the first thing I heard was empathy. And so many times we're guilty, you know, some of us are guilty of just coming, clocking in and going to work and being so robotic and, and just right. following policy policy regulations and, mm -hmm. and and we're fine with that some of us but yeah you brought up 
empathy. And to me, that's, ooh, that's social care. I get, so yeah. it, it, it's low because when you have the empathy, then you can give them that social care. Social right. care is important. It's not only important for the mind, but it's important for the, the human spirit. It's a humanistic strategy. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's a humanistic exactly. It just works, and it works with the core values of a child, no matter their upbringing, no matter their disposition. Because when yeah. you are empathetic, you show that you're at least trying to understand. You're at least trying exactly. to Exactly. And so then exactly. you become the student, and they become the mm -hmm. teacher. And then they have yes. the responsibility of teaching you. And so now you have a partnership. And Absolutely. with that, there's a sense of, I would, I would say, dignity. Yes. And from the dignity, there's a mutual respect. Absolutely. And so, and Absolutely. so now... Yes, so now you have to be able to pull back those layers. You talk have about to be able to pull back it. those layers. <laughs> I, look, that's that's my passion. That's my heart right there. I'll go on all night. <laughs> but you have to be able to pull back those layers. Understand first and foremost, before you can change anybody else, you have to change yourself. You have to understand yourself so that you can serve. That's the, the overarching thing. You have to know how to serve your population. Okay? Understand who you're serving and serve them correctly. Okay? That's it. So the secret is hospitality. I hope y'all heard that. That's, <laughs> I, hope, I hope the listening audience heard that. The, guys, the secret to all of this is hospitality. It's hospitality. <laughs> okay, let me, let me go to my next panel. because oh wait. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts because we're about to go on a ride. With that being said, Dr. Isaac Carrier, please say hello again to the people and tell us what you're doing currently, sir. Well, good evening again, everyone. Uh, I am currently serving as the principal of GW Carver Middle School in Waco, Texas. Uh, I've had, you know, uh, like Dr. Kennedy, I've been at this a while. I think I, I, I lost count a few years ago. I think this is year 27 or 28. Uh, I have most most recently I was uh, I did about three years consulting myself for carrier instructional leadership uh, consultants, where I'm the principal uh, consultant and and owner of the business, co-owner. My wife is the boss. Uh, and prior to that, I was an assistant superintendent of high schools in a school district in Houston. And then I worked in Dallas at Central Office. So I've been around a while. I was a principal in the, um, in the Alden School District in, in North Houston as well. So I've been doing this for a while. Currently also an adjunct professor at the University of Louisiana Monroe in the Educational Leadership uh, Department. And uh, like, I'm way behind uh, Mr. Thornton. I haven't yet to complete my first book, but it's just about me uh, dropping my procrastination and getting it done. Um, so I uh, got some varied experiences and been doing this a while, but this isn't what I do. It is who I am. And uh, so I'm thankful to have again this opportunity to be here with you to share a few thoughts tonight. Dr. Kerry, the pleasure is all ours. You know, you are a hands-on leader. Uh, you, you know, your approach is a hands-on uh, leadership instructional approach, and, and it works so well. 
uh, not only is it traditional, but it, I think it's also versatile because uh, because of automation, you can now uh, monitor, uh, you know, your your students and, and their engagement in the curriculum uh, that you manage. Um, I want to talk more about the behavior aspect tonight, as far as managing the disciplinary uh, part of education. A lot of people don't like to talk about this. Uh, until it's too late, right? But if we can talk about some strategies tonight to engage our youth with, then, you know, I think we can better manage, uh, you know, some people call them challenging youth, some people call them trouble, trouble youth, right? <clears throat> but what are some of the strategies uh, that you are using with your curriculum to help engage um, all youth uh, as it relates to disciplinary behavior, what's the breakdown? Uh, how do you look at that? How do you talk about that? How do you start a conversation uh, in a meeting about uh, disciplinary action? Is it a nutshell? Well, you could uh, you could have started this question with Mr. Thornton and Dr. Kennedy because they've already answered that question. It is engagement. It is acknowledgement of the individuals. It is empowerment and empathy and understanding from, you know, from where our, our kids come and understanding that in relation to what our jobs really are. And we focus on standards and, you know, learning objectives and all those things, and they're very important, right? They're, they're kind of the, the foundational pieces of instruction. But we can't get to instruction until we have established a rapport and relationship with our kids. When I first came to my current school, when I first got, I didn't know anything about the school. Um, this was kind of a, this, this my, my being here was necessitated by the pandemic. Um, I, I have the honor of, of replacing a principal that unfortunately um, uh, died uh, because of COVID. And it's a turnaround school that has had three different principals prior to me in the three previous years. That in itself is a problem because you cannot have consistency with students or with children or with anything um, when you have that kind of turnover. Um, but one of the things that <clears throat> I was told, and, and I've been told this in almost every place I've been, uh, is that, well, these kids are bad, and these kids are this and that and the other, and the reality is that ain't true. It's just simply not true. We have kids that have different circumstances. Well, guess what? Everyone has different circumstances. When we say troubled children, well, we got a troubled world. Um, and, and let's just be real about it. So, yes, my kids have extreme some, some of the most deplorable situations that you could possibly even imagine. But when we start talking about that word empathy, Dr. Kennedy, because empathy is what I focus on. Understanding, right? Kids don't need sympathy. They need empathy, right? They need us to understand their circumstances, to embrace that as, as an understanding, and then help them transcend those circumstances to the greatest extent that we can while we have them in school. 
So if I have a kid that's traditionally, you know, uh, explosive, right? Well, what are his triggers? What are the things that set him off? And then obviously I work opposite of those triggers. And that's what I get. I try to get teachers and, and educators to understand. In order to establish a relationship, we talk about relationships. And, and, and earlier, uh, I think it was Dr. Kennedy who mentioned buzzwords. I don't like buzzwords. I like real. And relationships to me must be real. Those are the kids that come back 10, 15, 20 years later and they hug your neck like they're a little kid again because of what you did for them. That is the benefit in education that we rarely get to see because when they leave us, we can only pray for them beyond that point, right? Other than what we know we have instilled in them. So when it becomes a behavior stand, uh, a situation, a lot of times, you know, that's actually mismanagement in whatever situation it is. As a principal, I have responded to this child in a way that is only going to exacerbate the problem as opposed to de-escalate and then ultimately get to the root of the problem so that we can get to a reasonable and sustainable solution. That's what it comes down to. We focus on the behavior, not the cause. When we focus on the cause, we can not only address the behavior, we can ultimately prevent the behavior from having, having, happening at all. <clears throat> so we got to stop looking at kids, and we got to. And I, I correct. I corrected a parent the other day. Uh, you know, that was making a general comment about how bad the kids are. No, the kids aren't bad. Quit calling the kids bad. I said that. I have never met this parent because, unfortunately, due to COVID, I've not have been able to shake the hands and hold the necks like I, I would normally do uh, in in a non-COVID situation. Um, but despite that, I'm so passionate about the fact that we have to work from a standpoint of positivity uh, as opposed to negativity. Um, and, and, and that has, I've, I think, if I've been proving it to anyone other than myself. I've done that over the last 27 years. And, and I think I've been able to help a lot of people understand that. Um, I, and I, I can think of instance after instance where we have teachers that were responding to students in a negative way but thinking they're right because they're, they're the adult. Well, in reality, I guess, you know, you're the adult, you're going to be right. But that doesn't make it right. If we're not meeting with success with our kids, then we fail them. They come to us with circumstances well beyond their control in some cases. In other cases, it's just a developmental uh, situation. We talked earlier about kids developing at different stages. And, and things that may have worked at one stage will be different at another stage, and, and some of those things won't work. Um, and, and so I, I think I use my own children, my daughters, uh, as a great example for me personally, and, and that just kind of translates to my school kids because those kids are my kids. Um, the way I chastised them or addressed situations when they were younger, well, as they grew and evolved, so did my methods need to grow and evolve. And so I get to a point when they're in their mid-teens and now early 20s, and it, it evolved from one thing to now we can have conversations. And there have been conversations all along that continuum, but the, the depth and complexity of those conversations changes as they mature, right? 
And when we have high expectations for kids, that should be reflected in our actions towards them. Um, we can't say we have high expectations, one, and not be able to define what that really means, and two, act in a manner that goes opposite to those what we say are high expectations. And so, for me, I love kids. If you don't love kids, it's going to be very, very difficult to accomplish any of the things that we have discussed here tonight. Um, I know there's all different kinds of programs, love and logic and you know, the, the whole PBIS system, all this stuff is great, but it starts with one thing. Do I care about kids? I can teach you everything that I've ever learned. I may not be able to teach it all well, but I can teach you everything I've ever learned. I cannot teach your heart to care. And if you don't have a heart for kids, it is going to be difficult at best to accomplish this thing we, we, we are trying to accomplish, which is ultimate success with our students. This conversation is getting good. This conversation is getting really, really good. I want to, let me ask you another question, Dr. Kerry. So, what does it, what does it feel like? Because I know you're hands-on. I know you love your students like I love my students. What does it feel like not being able to be hands-on with those students? You know, I still have um, a very small segment of kids now that have, that still remain, and they've been remote the entire school year. Most of my students have returned. We started at about 50% on campus, and then gradually over the course of the year, we, we've now gotten to probably about 90% uh, on campus. Uh, so that first 50% will eat, were real easy to grab, right, because they were there in the building with me. Um, the, the kids that were remote, you know, I had to speak with them on the phone, I had to do video messages to them, and try to do that on a weekly basis. Um, try to, you know, use every means of communication with them that I possibly could. Um, I am, am one of those folks, I, I, I look for the value in everything. Um, certainly not being able to engage with all of my kids in the way we normally would, in the way we would agree that probably works best for them. Um, that's been difficult. It just meant that I had to work a little harder. Um, and when they finally did come on campus, it was establishing that immediate, um, you know, connection with them as, as, as almost as soon as they walked through the doors. Uh, and, and so it didn't take long for that to naturally just form into a stronger, stronger bond. Um, you know, I just got in tonight, um, right before we started this call, in this podcast rather, um, and, um, it's because I was at school uh, working with a group of kids that had just come back that are behind, and they felt confident enough to come to me to work with them. Now, they were probably a little crazy on that part that they really don't know. You don't want me teaching you uh, math, but hey, I gave it a shot. And But I think that's a testament to the fact that if we, we are intentional about establishing relationships, um, it started with a very impersonal uh, connection, which was just that virtual, right? But, and, and it's funny because they would send me emails or they'd send me, you know, chat messages and, and things like that. And, and they wanted to get to know me. They were giving me the opportunity to get to know them. Um, and, and while it has been difficult, um, I think we learned some things through just this whole virtual platform, at least from an instructional standpoint. Um, 
you know, I was using the virtual platform probably 10 or 11 years ago to conduct uh, principal meetings with the principals I supervised as a way to honor their time yet address the things that we needed to do as a principal group. So this wasn't new to me. I've been teaching online classes for, you know, a number of years now. So for me personally, it wasn't this huge um, paradigm shift. Uh, but getting that to translate to teachers, and I have to say, I, 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 I wish, you know, I, I had been recording everything for uh, from my teachers because they just were all in. I've got a, a pretty dynamic group of, of mostly young teachers that embrace this technology. Uh, the challenge for them is that they're young teachers and so they really haven't gotten to the point where they establish themselves as really strong teachers yet. Uh, but we, I think we, you know, some of our, you know, at least assessment data uh, come back just today actually and it shows that we've made progress. And I wanted, I started this year with, the, with the, the purpose of making a point that regardless of what our circumstances are, we were going to transcend those circumstances and we were going to make progress. And that's exactly what we've done. Is it exactly where we want it to be? Absolutely not. But have we made significant progress? Yes, we have. So I'm, I'm very optimistic going into the, this next school year where it doesn't seem that we will be under the same circumstances we've had under you know this past year um, and and i have to also say that's also with having to quarantine my school twice for a significant amount of time uh, for the month of november alone we were only on the campus three days three days and it's because of, of covid so it has been a, a very challenging year it's certainly been difficult to establish relationships with the, in the way that we would all agree um, is best for kids and best for us. Uh, it allows us to be at our best. But I think we always have to, and I, you know, again, here comes another burger. We have to pivot um, and, and go in a direction that, you know, we, we need to go in sometimes. And that isn't always easy. But I've always been one of those people that believe in no excuses, you know. Um, and and this has been no, no different for us. And so, um, I, I'm not sure if that really answers your question, but you know, I just wanted to share that, that experience with you. Dr. Perry, thank you for adding so much value to this podcast. You know, and I want to pose this question to another panelist on, on, on the panel here tonight, and it's kind of based off of what Dr. Perry just said uh, about the opposite triggers. When you are uh, reacting opposite of those triggers so that they those triggers don't manifest so so and how and how would you measure those changes in your system uh you know while they're developing uh from uh, i would say uh third grade fourth grade you know k through 12 who wants to take that question how, how do you how do you manage opposite those triggers what are some strategies that you use well, I would definitely say um, training the staff uh, because a lot of times whenever you have a child on campus with challenging behaviors, instead of trying to de-escalate the situation, they'll actually sit there and they'll engage in the behavior. And it's they're engaging because they're taking it personally. Like, 
you cannot do that. Like I mentioned earlier, you cannot, um, you have to be mature in this situation and you have to understand that you are providing a service. You have to understand who your clientele is. So you need to come prepared knowing, okay, I know this triggers little Bobby and stuff like that, so I'm not going to engage with this. And if you know, um, say you're dealing with an elementary student and, um, they always want to play with toys or something. Well, you're going to set, you're going to be proactive and you're going to set up certain situations or stations, whatever the case you, whatever you want to call it to prevent those triggers from going off. You should be able to like, if you know your clientele, you should know what's coming. So you should already be prepared. Okay. Be mature in the whole aspect of I'm not going to engage with this and I'm here to help this child overcome this. I'm here to give them a voice and show them a better way. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know what? Let me let me go ahead and ask you a question, Dr. Kennedy, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Laura Kennedy. Now, you've been doing this for a while. So what, you know, what do you say to those? those newcomers, those new consultants out there, educational consultants out there trying to partner mm -hmm. with more established um, consultants, organizations, mentorship programs, uh, inter uh, I would guess, I would say intervention programs. What would you say to them as far as, you know, some people that have been kind of down on their luck, they're not getting uh, maybe contracts or they're not getting uh, en student enrollment, you know, what would you say to those people? Uh, I would say, um, so experience and stuff, and of course right now technology plays a huge part in all of that and um, in trying to get to schools and trying to coach teachers um, and in that case. So, you know, using your technology and um, networking with people, um, just growing in your field, you know, mastering your craft um, and to better teach your teachers. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, and, that, and that's what this conversation, this is what this podcast is all about. It's about building the community. And so... You know, we cannot have a strong community if we don't pull in, you know, everyone from the community, whether it be uh, business owners, uh, parents, stakeholders, you name it. That's that right. relationship that we have to focus on. Um, I like the way you put that. You know, after this conversation, uh, what should the audience take home about mindfulness, about consciousness, about uh, understanding that we have to build our communities around them. Who wants to take this question first? I'll dive right in there, uh, Isaiah. Uh, to address what both of uh, my esteemed panel mates have said, and especially uh, Dr. Carrier and Dr. Kennedy both hit on one thing, and that is that we have to uh, be self-aware we have to be the ones who walk in the door understanding what our role is and as we project the professionalism and the assurance that we can handle the situation the the kids the parents the staff they're all going to take their cues off of us when i get pulled into a situation 
I look for two things and I get really disappointed when I hear things like, well, I'm the teacher or who's the adult here? Because what we're trying to project and what we're trying to do when we build mindfulness and when we build communities, which is what a school is, it's a community. How can you project uh, universal positive regard without building some skill sets? You have to have a skill set where you not only can listen, but your audience knows you are actively listening to them, which means you are projecting that you are giving them respect. You're respecting their voice. You're respecting the time that they're giving you. You are earning their respect by doing that. You are projecting a level of dignity that drives a culture. The culture is important because these kids in all cases are learning and they need to absorb everything they can about a positive culture. How can you build communities? How can you build successful kids who become adults and, and drive our future? How can you do that if they don't understand that you get what you give and when you give universal positive regard, you are gonna get it back 10 times over. When you give respect, you're gonna get it back 10 times over, but you don't get that if you walk in with the attitude of, well, I'm the adult here, or I'm the teacher here, or you have to listen to me. You know what? Nobody has to listen to anybody. That makes you a slave to the environment. You cannot be a slave to the environment and feel like you're gonna learn anything. You have to be a willing participant, and to get that, you have to feel like people are gonna to listen to you and I usually tie up most of my trainings with a saying, a child heart leads to their mind and feeds their soul. That's the key to building community and that allows them to learn mindfulness and in that same vein. Thank you, buddy. Who's next? Well, I don't know that I can even come close to topping or even adding to what buddy just said, buddy, I've got to tell you, I'm stealing that last thing, that last quote, the child's heart. Hold on, say that again, would you, would you repeat that quote again? A child's heart leads to his mind and feeds Which his soul. Feeds his soul, got it. At the, at the foundation of all of this, we have to understand that this, we're in the people business. If we don't have empathy, we cannot meet with success. If we don't seek to include in every possible way and encourage and empower students to engage um, as the people that they are, right? Without these, these parameters, let them be free, right? We obviously want to be you know, appropriate and, and not use off-color language and things like that. But let them be free to express who they are within this work, uh, accepting uh, individuals for who they are, um, seeking to understand our children and helping them to transcend their circumstances. Uh, these are all, uh, all of those are elements of what I heard tonight. Um, and, and it's what I have been trying to part, you know, to, to get across to people for years and years and years 
Um, and I know that there are a lot of people like Mr. Thornton, like Dr. Kennedy, like myself, like you, Mr. Drone, soon to be Dr. Drone, um, that we, this is our life's work. And, and at the core of our life's work are the lives of children. And if we can, if we don't recognize the extreme importance in that, and then I just don't know that we can meet the mark for what we need to accomplish. Wow. Who's next? So I want to just say <clears throat> love and kindness. This is all, it's, it's greater than education. You know, every person on this planet wants to be understood and they want to be loved. And it is our job to help each other grow to our greatest potential. I don't even understand why someone would even come into the profession not understanding that <laughs> because that just goes back to just being a good human being and helping one another, loving one another. So that is that is my, my two cents on it. <laughs> no, that was a home run. That, and you came out playing two sports. You came out playing baseball and basketball. You get a home run, you came back and slam dunk. I know. I know you're a lady slam dunk. Listen, this was another impactful night of the Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 82. Our panelists tonight were Buddy Jordan, the positive social change agent pro, Dr. Isaac Carrier, and Dr. Laura Kennedy. Good night.